time for us to uh, begin tonight. Everybody will come on in and have a seat. We'll get started. We are thankful that you're here tonight. Looks like we've got a pretty good crowd, and we're always uh, thankful for that. We have visitors, and uh, we want you to know how glad we are that you're here as well. I want you to come back and be with us anytime you can. Uh, our worship service this coming Sunday morning will be at 930. We'd love to have you then. And then, of course, our Bible classes will be on Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. I hope you had an opportunity. If you didn't so do so yet, please pick up one of the bulletins as you came in. It's got an updated list of the sick as well as other information. We want to express our deepest appreciation to Brother Merle Crow and his family in the death of his brother, Bruce Crow. He passed away this week at the age of 102. Uh, that funeral was this afternoon at 2 o'clock. So let's continue to pray for uh, Brother Merle and that family. The Youth Progressive Dinner is going to be on Sunday, December the 17th. The bus will leave the TAC at 3 o'clock. Also, keep in mind the annual Fruit Basket Day will be on Wednesday, December the 20th at 1 o'clock in the Annex. Uh, all of us, I hope, will pay attention to this. Our focus group is going to be hosting a chili supper on Sunday evening, December the 31st in the Annex. That's New Year's Eve following the evening classes. This is for the entire congregation. And uh, everyone's asked to bring chili, sides, and desserts. I don't mind if you bring hamburgers and hot dogs or, you know, just whatever you want to bring. That'd be good, wouldn't it? But anyhow, keep that in mind. If you want to participate in that, we'd love for you to do so. Food Pantry and Clothes Closet is going to be tomorrow morning at uh, 9 o'clock until 10.30. We anticipate perhaps the largest month we've ever had, uh, perhaps surpassing our 235 total from last month. So uh, all, the, all of you who helped with that, thank you so much. If you'd like to come out and help, we would certainly uh, find you something to do, and we'd appreciate that. Our fifth Sunday contribution is coming up in a couple of weeks, and we're thankful that all the monies that are given will be going toward mission work. Can't do enough mission work, so please plan for that. Also, keep in mind on December the 24th, on uh, Christmas Eve, we will only have one service, the morning service at 9.30. There'll be no 5 p.m. service. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Uh, Turner Foster is going to be leading our singing. Brother Merle Crow will lead us in prayer. And uh, Drew Bruce will present our devotional thoughts. The invitation song tonight will be number 904. 904. The song before Drew comes and speaks will be 414. Anywhere with Jesus. 414. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere. 
one more announcement before we get started about the progressive dinner. There is a sign-up sheet in the foyer on the black table for desserts. If anybody wants to help with desserts, you can sign that sign-up sheet. So tonight, uh, for about five minutes, I'm going to talk to you all about something that I really thought was a good lesson that I heard this week. Um, as many people know me, I love sports. You can talk to me and Dr. Ty talk about Mississippi State every time we see each other, which is probably not the best thing to talk about most of the time, but we love Mississippi State sports. Um, so I, when I was in high school, I played sports all the time, and one of my favorite coaches that I looked, in, looked into and studied was uh, John Wooden. John Wooden was a UCLA coach. He coached uh, in the 70s. People like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all those people, they won, Bill Walton won championships all the time in the 70s, back when Doug was a young child. But, um, so, but his, his quote that he, say, he had that I love is, he said, don't let what you can, cannot do interfere with what you can do. So I think about that, and when I was in high school, I don't know, you could probably look at me and tell, but I could not dunk a basketball. But I still love basketball, and I played basketball. And I couldn't run a four-minute mile, but I still ran cross country. So part of me, it's, I guess it's ingrained in me, the, the, that uh, quote from him. So I thought about it in, in, in terms of the Bible today, and I thought, well, if we could turn to 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9, it's where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. I'll read that real fast, and we'll... It says, so, first starting in verse 7, it says, So keep me, from, keep me from becoming content because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming content. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this and that this should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and for your power is made, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of the, of the weakness that, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says here, Paul says here, he asked for it to be passed three times. And to me, Paul is one of the greatest preachers of all time. So do you, I don't know for a fact, but I think if, he, if this thorn of flesh, whatever it was, passed from him. He probably been a little bit better than he was. I don't know if he could get any better than Paul, but he may have been a little better. But he didn't let what he couldn't couldn't do interfere with what he could do. Lastly, we talk, we find in Matthew the twenty fifth chapter, it's uh, the story, the parable of the talents. We'll turn to, let's read a couple of verses from it. We won't read the whole thing for lack of time. But Matthew chapter 25, and we'll start in verse 24. Matthew 25 and verse 24. If I ever get there. Matthew 25 and 24 through 26. It says he also received the one talent came the one he also received the one talent came forward saying master I knew to, knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed so I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground here you, ha, here you have what is yours 
But the master answered him, You wicked and slothless servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to, ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and, and, not at, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. We find here, we know with talent, we all know it means money here, but, but if I, if I would have, when I was playing high school basketball, if I wouldn't have played basketball because I couldn't dunk a basketball, well, I wouldn't have been very good. And I, I wasn't very good anyway, but I wouldn't have been as talented as I was. So the thing tonight is that we need to think about is that, you know, I may not can stand up here and talk to you for 45 minutes because my attention span goes out, but Brother Ken can. I may not can write a thank you card and a get well card as well as some of these ladies in this congregation can, but I can talk the bark off of a tree and I can stand here for five minutes and give you a little a devo. We need to realize what we can and cannot do and use that to the fullness of God. If there's anything we can do for you tonight, come together as we sing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washing the thank you for the opportunity to come to your house and worship you tonight. We pray we do it in spirit and truth. We thank you for the devo that Bruce gave and just let it be a, uh, a encouragement to you to do all you can and do it in a way that will be pleasing to the Lord if, uh, if you have the opportunity. We know that uh, Everyone can do something and just uh, let your light shine uh, through, through the community by you can praise God and just uh, do his work and, 
And just to give an example of what a Christian is, we thank you now for the rest of the night. We pray that you'll be with us as we go into classes, and we'll get much uh, teaching from these classes, and, and we use uh, these teachings to further our knowledge of the Lord. Ask you now to bless us and keep us. Forgive us for failure. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Zion's call sweetly rings over land and sea, bidding us look to realms above. While the light from the throne shines for you and me, let us listen to the call of love. Zion's call is ringing, coming from. song we just sang, Zion's Call, I, I, every time I hear that song, I think back to when I was a kid and my dad was holding gospel meetings in these church buildings that were jam-packed full of people and I can still hear that old southern alto bellowing out, you know, and uh, how beautiful that singing was. That, that always reminds me of that every time we sing songs like that. Uh, before we get started tonight, why don't we begin with a prayer? Will you bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for everything you do for us. 
We can never give you enough praise and honor and glory for who you are and what you are and for the mercy and grace that you bestowed upon us. Father, we are mindful right now of many that we know that are sick, that need our prayers. We pray your richest blessings would be upon them. And Father, we also ask your blessings upon those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones. We pray that your care and comfort will be upon them. Father, bless us in our Bible study tonight. May we open up our hearts and minds to your word, and may we try to leave here determined to be better than we were before we came. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for our sins, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, how to live a meaningful life. Uh, we're going to be talking about tonight the conflict in our lives caused by a desire for security. I think all of us long for security. And there can be little room for question in the mind of anyone concerning the serious conflict in the lives of people today that's caused by the desire for security. That's a very strong and intense desire that all of us have. We want to feel secure. We look at many places throughout the world where security just really isn't a reality. I can't imagine being over in a place, you know, like Gaza right now, where, you know, you just don't know what's going to be happening from day to day. We read and we, we hear about in many parts of our world, the refugee camps, hundreds of thousands of people have to leave their homes and migrate to places that are safer than where they are. And so we long for security. You know, we recognize the fact that we can't lock our, unlock, keep our doors unlocked like happened in Mayberry years ago, right? We all lock our doors, I hope for the most part, uh, we, we lock those doors, but we, we want to feel secure, and uh, we're concerned about that. We're concerned about financial security. We're concerned about our retirement. I don't know if you saw, and I'm not a professional baseball fan by any stretch. I'll keep up with who's in first you know, place or whatever, but as far as just sitting down and watching a major league baseball game, I don't do that very often, but the, the Dodgers signed a player's last name was Otani. I think I pronounced that right. He signed for 10 years a contract, $700 million. You think you could survive on that? Could you? Let, let me pull something up real quick. I meant to have this already pulled up, but I didn't. But I want to pull this up just for a second, if I can, if I can find it. Let me see if I can find it. If not, I just won't mess with it. But it was, it was a, is that it? Nope. It was a breakdown of how much this guy made uh, every game. Here it is. All right. Every year, this baseball player is going to make $70 million. He's going to make $5,833,333.33 per month. Could you live on that? Per week, he's going to make one. Now, he's making $5 million a month there. For, for, per week, it's $1 million. 
$346,153.84, he's going to make per day $191,780.82. Wouldn't you like to have just his daily salary for yours? Uh, per hour, he's making $7,990.87 an hour. How about how much he makes per minute? $133.18 per minute. Wouldn't that be nice to sit down on a couch and in you know, three or four minutes you've made four or $500? Per second, $2.22. That means after four seconds, he can buy a large supersized Whopper combo. Have you thought about that? Well, that's, that's, that's four or five seconds there. Now, per game he plays, and major league players, I still think they play 162 games a year. Uh, per game, he'll make $432,098.77 per game. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Just, you know, what we think, boy, if we could make that kind of money, we would be some kind of secure, wouldn't we? And uh, we wouldn't mind that at all. But we need to realize the desire for security can cause us some problems in regard to our Christianity if we're not careful. You see, on the one hand, there's the desire to walk by faith, right? We want to walk by faith. Uh, we want to demonstrate a strong faith in God, right? To provide for us all the affairs of life. We want to have that kind of faith and courage and confidence in God. On the other hand, there is the need and the realization of the need to provide for oneself and for one's family. And that's very, very important. And we want to provide for our family the kind of security that will bring peace of mind. You know, the emphasis today, uh, if you watch much media, is being financially set, financially secure. Uh, we, we, we long for that, you know. We can be self-sufficient. That's what we want to do. And so, you know, we long for that. And so the problem is one that's encountered in the lives of most of us. And this conflict has been the cause for many people conducting themselves in a way that's completely foreign to their religious principles and their convictions by which they claim to live their lives. Sometimes, you know, because of the desire for financial and material security, people will compromise their religious principles and convictions. And it's not unheard of today to hear of people who profess maybe to be leaders in some religious organization. Uh, it's not unheard of to hear of them abandoning their beliefs, their religious heritage, maybe even abandoning their own faith in order to acquire for themselves material security. That's a problem. You know, money speaks today, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, Somebody says, well, money can buy anything, can it? Can money buy anything? Well, hopefully it won't buy Christian security at all. You know, uh, this has just come to my mind. Back in the uh, 
Roman world, the Romans were, the Romans considered Caesar their God. And, uh, you know, we think about our jobs today, right? We think of us as Christians. We can be a shining light in the community, you know, by the example that we set. But, you know, those first century Christians, uh, they had to bow down to Caesar as God or they couldn't get the little token or the whatever it took, the little piece of uh, paper that said you could have a job. If you were a faithful Christian, you're going to have a hard time making a living if unless you bow down to Caesar. And let me tell you something. That's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it, as far as our convictions go. And uh, a lot of people have abandoned their faith and their religious convictions for material security. And regardless of in whose life the problem of this kind of conflict may occur, we know that it's pressure, it's pressures felt by many, many people uh, to try to manage that conflict and to keep it under control and not allow it to surface. You know, there's no room for doubt, I don't think, in our minds concerning the need for our being motivated by a strong faith in God and his word in everything we do. I think all of us understand how important a strong faith a motivational faith is in our lives. That's so important if we want to please God in all that we do. And I'm using the term faith right now uh, in the sense of making its meaning closely related to the meaning of the word trust or assurance or confidence. You know, the Bible talks about weak faith and strong faith. And when I talk about our own personal faith, that's what I'm referring to right here. And uh, we need to be motivated because we have a strong faith in God. We have confidence in what God has promised that he's going to do. And truly, the Bible speaks very clearly of the importance of these qualities being present in the lives of those that would be well-pleasing to God. Uh, we're familiar with 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 that says we walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? What is the word walk they're referring to? How you live your life each day, your daily walk. We walk, how do we walk? Do we walk by faith or do we walk by sight? Do we make our decisions and our choices based upon what's tangible, based upon what can be seen, or do we base our decisions and our choices and our manner of life based upon Faith in God. And I think that's very important. The Bible does say in Romans 14, verse 23, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. That's talking about my own personal faith. If I believe personally that something is wrong, whether it's wrong or not, if I believe it's wrong and I commit that particular act, I have sinned because it's not according to my faith. I'm talking about something neutral here. I'm not talking about something in the realm of right or wrong. If I believe that something is wrong, and yet I don't abide by that principle, then I sin. Uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Can't please God unless we have faith in God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You know, there are many marvelous promises made throughout the pages of God's word that's based upon our having that kind of faith. Uh, think about the point of emphasis Jesus made in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, and yet you shall say to that mountain, remove here or yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible for you. What's the Lord saying? He's saying, you know, our, our faith is a powerful force in what we think and expect God can do for us. You know, James talked about the importance of faith. He said, uh, you know, when we pray, if we don't have faith in that, we're like, you know, tossed to and fro. You know, we're, 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 we're going in every single direction. The Bible says, let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He's like that wave, you know, that's just driven back and forth by the wind. It's no, nothing solid. And so our faith needs to be strong. It needs to be firm. Now, there are many marvelous promises made through the pages of God's word that are based upon our having this kind of faith. Let's think about a few of these. Uh, We've already looked at uh, that one in Matthew 17. Uh, what about Matthew 21, beginning in verse 21? Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also you shall say unto this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now, that's some figurative language there. I understand that. You know, we, we, we look at the Lord's teachings on prayer and the teaching on prayer throughout the Bible. We have to pray according to God's will. Somebody made the statement, you can pray, believe, and receive, or you can pray and doubt and be without. I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. So... Do we, do we pray believing, knowing that we're going to receive, or do we pray in doubt and go without? A lot of powerful, powerful blessings we forfeit because we refuse to pray. In Matt, Romans 8 and verse 28, we've talked about this already in this class. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are called according to his purpose. That right there is the epitome of faith and trust in God. Knowing that whatever circumstance that I'm facing right now, no matter how difficult it is, even though I can't see the outcome, I may not understand how it could possibly be true, but I have the promise that all things, both good and bad, intertwined together in my life will ultimately turn out for good for those that love the Lord. I love Paul's statement and his faith in Philippians 4 and verse 13. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, Paul didn't say there, I can do all things on my own. But I can do everything that Christ would have me to do. And I can be assured that he's going to give me the strength 
to win the day and to overcome what I need to overcome and to accomplish things that I never could do on my own for the Lord's cause. Let's move on, though, and talk about the need for faith and all that we do does not in any way remove the desire for security. You know, just because we have this strong faith in God, that doesn't take away the desire that we have for security. You know, you think about parents and how much they love their children. They want to provide those children the best security they possibly can. Don't we want our children and grandchildren to be safe? Don't we want things to be done to ensure their safety and security? Uh, you think about schools today. You know, when we send our children off to school, we want our children to be safe there, don't we? And uh, in many places, you know, laws are being enacted now and uh, proper security measures are being put into place that provide for that security. We want their security. We hear a lot about bullying today among youth. And we, if we love our young people, we'll, we'll try to see that those kinds of things have the least impact on their lives as possible. But anyhow, the need for faith in all that we do doesn't remove this desire for security. It often makes the conflict caused by the desire for security to create maybe a feeling of intense guilt in our hearts and minds. You see, on the one hand, we want to have strong faith in God, right? We want to have strong confidence in God, but then we feel guilty sometimes when maybe we really want to do more than maybe we should to have that security. So let's take a serious look at this desire for security. There's no doubt that having security is a strong sense of motivation. It's a key to having a meaningful life. You know, people today sacrifice in order to purchase insurance for themselves, don't they? Right? We purchase insurance for ourselves and for our children and for our families in order that they might uh, have some security. Uh, life insurance. I, I've seen some tragic, tragic incidents in the lives of families where if just a little effort had been put forth, you know, the family could be taken care of at the sudden death of a, a father. Because he didn't really see the need for that, didn't do anything about it. Term life insurance is dirt cheap, particularly if you're young. You know, you hear those advertisements and it's true. You know, you can get $750,000 of term life insurance for 20 bucks a month, you know, and some cases are less. And so, you know, there's being, there's being smart about something and using common sense about things. God gave us that common sense to use. And uh, there's nothing wrong with, you know, providing security for our families as long as our trust in God remains what it ought to be. I think it would be rather foolish on my part if I said, well, I trust God. He'll take care of my family. And so I, I got this extra money. I'm not even going to buy the insurance for it. It's just a waste of time, you see. Well, God gave us enough sense, didn't he, uh, to use our brains a little bit and uh, do what we need to do to provide security for our families. People are known to scrimp and save in order to place money in savings accounts in order to provide 
financial security for themselves. And uh, although the practice of making provisions for tomorrow is not wrong within itself, it could become wrong, couldn't it? Depend on, depending on the extent to which we may go. You know, we can go overboard. It, it's got to be a balanced thing between, you know, trusting in God and using the good common sense the Lord's given me uh, to provide for my family. You know, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, isn't it? It's not money. It's the love of money that causes all the problems. It's putting money at the top of my priority list and, you know, financial security and material things at the very top of the list. You know, we've seen examples in the news before where there have been people in some of these bigger cities that have died from starvation malnutrition. I know there was one case in Chicago a few years back where an individual died in some old rundown building from exposure only to find a, a bag nearby him that he belonged to him that had $250,000 in it. You know, of course the guy probably was mentally ill. I don't know, but think about it. Having that kind of money and yet becoming so stingy and not wanting to just spend anything because you wanted more leading to your death. And when we allow covetousness, when we allow selfishness, when we allow greed to be the motivating factor in that which we do in our attempts to provide for ourselves, we're being motivated by the wrong desires. You know, it's Christmas time, right? Y'all watch the Christmas Carol yet this year? You know, I always liked the Christmas carol. I like the older version myself. But old Scrooge, you know, he learned a valuable lesson, didn't he? I mean, he was a miser. He, he didn't want to give anybody anything. And, of course, if you know the story, uh, over the, a period of the night, he had three spirits visit him and turned his life around. He ultimately saw that material things is not where it's at. It's helping others. It's serving others uh, that uh, makes one happy and pleasant. You know, the Bible speaks very clearly about the responsibility that we have to make proper preparation for our families and for our future. Think about some of these verses. First Timothy 5 and verse 8, we're familiar with it. If any provide not for his own, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You see, I have a responsibility to provide for my family, their physical needs, food, clothing, and shelter. You know, I don't have the responsibility to provide for them the nicest clothes that money can buy, you know, or, you know, the, the finest toys that are out there that are available, but I am to provide for their basic necessities and their basic needs. And, I think in our day today in this country, we do that far too well in most cases, don't we? But we are to provide for our families. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16, If any man or woman that believeth hath widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. And then I think about the rebuke that Jesus gave the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 15, 3 through 9. You know, he rebuked them for their disobedience to the law of God, referring to, you know, taking care of their own parents, 
uh, because of their observance of simple man-made traditions, uh, laws that they made that weren't the laws of God just to excuse themselves from taking care of their own parents. And uh, certainly Jesus dealt very strongly with them in that regard. And so we must never allow our actions to keep all these injunctions to provide for our families, to do the best that we can to provide security for our families. We cannot let the, our desire to keep these injunctions ever to demonstrate a lack of faith in God, because that would lead us to commit sin. We've got to have balance in our lives. We trust God. We have faith in God. We put our utmost confidence in him. And yet we know that God expects us to do what we can as well. He expects us to provide for our family, to make a living and so forth. And so we must never allow our actions uh, toward seeking security to override our faith in God. You know, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that our affection toward God must be singular in nature. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 6 for just a moment, you might want to turn there. You're familiar with it. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other. He will be loyal to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so Jesus is saying here that our affection toward God is to be singular in nature. And he also taught the tremendous power that God has to provide all those things that are necessary and needful for our lives. If you look at verse 25, Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Don't worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or yet about your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than food and the body than clothing? He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap and gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you by being anxious can add one foot to his statue? Some say at a single hour to his lifespan. You know, does it do any good for us to worry and fret about our physical appearance when we can't do anything about it as far as adding height to our statue and so forth? Uh, he goes on to say here, and why are you anxious about clothing? He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Then he goes on to admonish us to not be anxious and worrisome about what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink and all the necessities of life simply because God's going to take care of us. And so we ought not be in the business of trying to, I guess, make ourselves a God by thinking that this security we need is something we've got to go out and make it a priority in our lives. Uh, to accomplish. God's going to be with us. God's going to bless us as long as we seek him first in our lives. 
And of course, our failure to recognize these precious truths demonstrates a weak faith. It'll cause serious problems when it comes to our relationship uh, with God. But I want to close tonight quickly by saying that this conflict that's created by a desire for security demands a very, very balance be maintained in all the decisions that we make toward material possessions and their appeal to us. In other words, the fact that we have to have a strong faith in God, and yet we have this desire for security, means that we've got to be cautious when it comes to decisions that we make regarding money and material things. You know, security does not come in the possession of things. <clears throat> material things aren't going to last, are they? They can be here one minute and go on the next. We see up in Clarksville, Tennessee, you know, last week what a tornado could do. You know, it amazes me sometimes how long it takes to build a nice house or some structure. A tornado can come in just a matter of seconds, destroy it, can't it? Uh, we have no security here in this life when it gets right down to it. You know, FDIC at the bank says, you know, you're insured by the government. Are we really? You know, what if the government falls? You know, uh, we just can't put our confidence in anything in this life when you get right down to it. We may think we can't. Uh, those that were uh, putting all their uh, future in the stock market uh, many, many years ago when the stock market, stock, stock market crashed that led to the depression. You know, multiple, multiple people committed suicide because they lost everything. So security does not rest in the possession of things. Remember the rich farmer in Luke chapter 12? He said, man, look at all the good things that's happened to me. I'm going to tear down my old barns and I'm going to build greater barns and there I'll bestow all my fruits and my goods and I'll say to myself, so you have much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What's he doing? Well, his confidence is in himself. His confidence is in his own ability. Uh, he thinks that, you know, I just need more and more and more. And if he had been allowed to live, maybe he would have tore down those barns he built and even built greater the next season. Uh, but, you know, God said, tonight your soul is going to be required of you. Then who shall these things be which you have provided? And so we've got to put our trust in God, not like that rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. And, of course, uh, Jesus said, you know, that's not the source of abundant living. Uh, abundant living comes from serving God and serving others. The happiest people in this life, the happiest people in the history of our world have been those that had the proper perspective on material things. They put their trust in God and they realized that God would take care of them. Or you think about what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves <coughs> treasures upon earth, or moth and rust doth corrupt. Get that new car, right? Smells good, doesn't it? What happens to it in a few years? Warranty's out, you know, dings all over it or whatever. You know, nothing's going to last. Uh, uh, rust is going to corrupt. Thieves will break through and steal. That's very upsetting uh, to me when a thief 
would steal what is your possession. Maybe they break into your home. That's your place of security, isn't it? And they break into that home. They steal what belongs to you. I mean, that just shatters us all the way to the bone almost when we think about uh, what that individual has done to our security. Uh, but Jesus said, instead, you lay up your treasures up in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so the resolving of, <clears throat> of the conflict that's caused by our desire for security demands the exercise of the proper understanding. We have to have the proper attitude toward the stewardship of material things. What is a steward? Somebody? Someone who looks after the possessions of another. Somebody that looks after the possessions of another, JT said, and that's exactly right. And what we have to realize and understand, this is the hard thing to get across to people sometimes, is that we're simply stewards of everything that we have. God owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we are simply stewards of what God has given us. If you don't believe that, when you die, you think about how much of it you're going to take with you. You're not going to take anything at all. Brought nothing into the world. Certainly will carry nothing out. So I have to view myself as a steward these things are not mine. I have to use them to glorify God. And I'm going to give an account for how I use those possessions. The Bible says, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And of course, we think about the parable of the stewards, right? The parable of the talents. One given five, one, two, one, one. The person that was given five, doubled his, also the one that was given two. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. The person that had just one talent was afraid and went and hid it in the ground. And so we are stewards, and if we can ever come to grasp that concept, it will revolutionize our lives in the Lord's church. All the money that I make from my job, the house that I live in, the cars that I drive, now, there's ownership when it comes between us, right? I mean, your car's out there. It's not my car. I don't have the right to take your car and drive it, right? I don't have the right to come and live at your house if I want to. You know, there's ownership when it comes to our relationship. But when it comes to God, I own absolutely nothing. I own nothing. And I'm going to have to give an account for how I've used the material things that God has blessed me with. And we've got to come to understand that. If we properly understand the concept of stewardship, then we're well on our way to managing this conflict between the desire for security on the one hand and having a strong faith in God on the other hand. And so I close by, with these remarks. Placing the kingdom of God first in our lives will further help us to resolve the conflict that's caused because of our desire for security. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And uh, sadly, many offer only lip service regarding their faith in God and his promises. 
You know, they profess to believe in God. They profess to be Christians. They claim that they put God first, but if we want the kind of security that comes from God, we have to truly put him first in our lives and in all things. That's what we must do. And if we want to live meaningful lives, when we come to the end of this life, who you are, as far as your house, your money, your material possessions, isn't going to matter except to your relatives, right? Who's going to get what? Right? Uh, the only thing that's going to matter is your relationship with God. That's the absolute only thing that will matter. hundred years from right now, kind of house you live in, the money you have, the job you have, the clothes you wear, matters none at all. What matters is, is my relationship with God and where I'm going to be spending my eternity. And so let's resolve that we're going to have more faith in God. Use this common sense that God's blessed us with. And yet, let's have a strong faith in God and let's realize that I'm just a steward of everything that God's blessed me with. My body, my health, material things, physical things, and I want to use these things to the glory of God. All right, anybody got any comments or questions about any of this? Anything y'all want to add to it or ask about? Feel free to do so. All right. Uh, let me... Next Wednesday night, I was trying to think of the topic we're going to deal with, and it just slipped my mind. But I'll think about it. Well, you don't need to know now anyway, I don't guess, do you? So anyhow, thank you all for paying attention tonight, and I appreciate you so very much.